was cool. Men, I do got to put, uh, put out the reminder. Joe Onasai from Destiny Christian Church is coming to speak to us. But you have to sign up for the men's breakfast or you won't hear him. Women, sorry, you don't get to hear him. It's for guys only. Tough. Sorry, deal with it. You guys, you guys got Don O'Brien at your women's night or whatever. We get Pastor Joe Onasai. So, but guys, you got to sign up because I want to have a good crowd here. I want you to be blessed because I know he's going to speak words of life and encouragement and motivation. But you got to sign up and you got to be there to hear him. So on the table out there or get on online, whatever you need to do, $8 for a killer breakfast and you get to hear from Pastor Joe. It's going to be good. That's on the 7th and you're going to forget about that because Christmas is coming up and you're going to miss it. So you got to get on that one now. Okay, guys? All right, got it. Yeah, I didn't really hear you too much out there, but uh, I'll take your word that you were listening. I didn't want to get out of bed myself this morning. It was a cold morning. Yeah, wasn't it? It was just one of those. It's, it's another reason why I'm thankful for my beard. It just fills me with warmth, you know, that I need. And so, sorry, honey, it's in serving a practical purpose as well. Um, we are going to be getting into a really good sermon this morning. We're talking about the Christmas spirit. We're not going to go into heavy, into detail, into Christmas message and all of that, but because uh, that's for next weekend. That's for the Christmas Eve services and Christmas morning service and all of that. But we're going to talk about the spirit of Christmas and what, what it's supposed to be. I was talking to someone yesterday, uh, one of my son's friends, his mom was over and we were talking. She's like, why is it that this year just seems so stressful and it's so hard and it's so, there's so much confusion and just, just the economy where it's at and stress. And you guys feeling that too? I feel that a little bit. You know, it's Christmas season and how come it's not so easy to enter into that joy and peace and love what it's supposed to be? It's tough right now. I mean, what the world deals with every year, every Christmas, every time of the year. But for some reason, she was just saying, it, it's, it's hard. Why is that? Why are we dealing with that? And I said, it's, it's life. It, it's what it is. It's the mess that the world is in. But we don't have to put up with it. And my, my wife's over there, yeah, we've we got to remember, it's all about Jesus, you know? And, and I just love, she's throwing it out there. You know, the person uh, that we were talking to isn't a Christian, but it's a reminder that we are the ones that can change that. Amen? And we're expected to change that. And the book of James is all about us reminding ourselves, James reminding us as Christians that we have a role to play in this world and that we don't just have to sit back and just make do with where the world's going and watch it go and just, ah, oh, and complain and grumble about it. But we can get in there, we can do something. And, and the Christmas spirit today, the Christmas spirit the right way is a reminder of the best gift that we have to give away, which is Jesus, which is his love, which is our actions leading people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily the great gift you got. Oh man, my dad's going to love this iPod or I can't wait to get this toy for my kid. Those are cool. That's good. That's nice. But we have something that's more. That's not really a, a physical, tangible thing. It's, it's an attitude that says, Jesus can fix your life. Jesus can bring you eternal joy versus however long it takes for that iPod to break or whatever. I can give you something bigger and better. And so we're talking about Christmas the right way and leading other people into a relationship with Jesus. And I got a video that I'd like to show you guys just to kind of help put our perspective and our eyes back on what the Christmas spirit is all about done the right way, what we're going to hear from in James today. So we got the video ready? Good to go. Put your guys' eyes on the screen and let's check this out.
Last night I watched some Christmas movies. We, uh, we had some time off. It was the day off, and I was home with my kids, and we watched a couple movies. We watched um, one of my favorite holly, uh, holiday classics, uh, Christmas Story. You guys know that one? The little blonde kid with the glasses. Remember that one? Don't, don't put your eye out with the BB gun, right? The Red Rider BB gun. So I introduced that to my kids for the first time, and they were rolling. They were cracking up, and it was good. And then we were watching. We were just, you had more time to kill just hanging out, and um, we were looking at Netflix, and, and I, I saw this movie, one of my favorites that I hadn't watched in years, and it's called Pay It Forward. You guys remember that movie, oh, Pay It Forward? Yeah. If you've never seen that movie, I seriously suggest in this Christmas season, go watch it. It's on Netflix for free. If you got that or whatever, go rent it, whatever you need to do. And if you have seen it already, go watch it again, because it's like this video. It puts things back in the right perspective of what we're called to do. It's not a Christian movie, but it has an amazing message that I think should be applied to Christians, is that we need to believe in people and we have something to give away and that we can change the world simply by our actions and by blessing people. And it's not always about the material gift that you give away, but it's the Christmas spirit that we're supposed to have, which I believe goes beyond Christmas. It's the Christian spirit. It's that always we would be focusing on other people and thinking, I can change this world by my actions towards other people. I can introduce people into a new and improved eternity with a relationship with God simply by my actions and the way I treat other people. And we're looking at James chapter 5 today. We're ending up the book of James today, by the way. It's been a good run, though, huh? You guys been enjoying James? James is such a good author in that he just, it says more than any other um, uh, Old Testament author, he speaks with authority. And he has more outright commands towards other people than any of the other books written in the whole Bible. The way that he talks is just like, do this, do that. He's just real simple, real black and white, and he's just reminding us as Christians what kind of a spirit we're supposed to have, what kind of an attitude we're supposed to have. It's based on, as we saw in that, it's based on love. We can love more. And the whole concept of it is that we're putting people back in right relationship with God in heaven, which is the whole Christmas message in itself anyway, right? In a nutshell, it's pretty much that God goes, I want relationship with those that I created. They've walked away, so I need to devise a plan to get them back to me. And that's Jesus, and that's our job as representatives of Jesus. So we're looking at James, and we're in James chapter 5, verse 7. And we're going to talk about three things today. Any one of these, honestly, I could have done 
at least one full sermon on, if not a few weeks of a series on. Um, There's three P's that we're going to be talking about today that are most important that James is choosing to end all of his instructions, to end his letter to all these Christians out there in the world, us included. He's choosing, I'm going to end it with these three things. And I want these people to be aware that your actions make a difference. And we're talking about today, patience, prayer, and persistence. You look at your notes, those are the three things we're going to be talking about. And like I said, I want to get deeper and I could go for length of time on any one of these things, but James is just kind of cycling through it and we're going to come to an end of our series today because we've got special Christmas services next week. We're having a, a special guest speaker, Pastor Rod Plummer from Jesus Lifehouse. Amazing guy, amazing work they're doing over there. They sent us all those Japanese students. You don't want to miss him. He's on New Year's weekend. But we're ending up, James, with this. And I want you to look at patience, the first one in verse 7. James takes a softer tone, I want you to notice. If you remember last week, he, was, he said a bunch of those, Hey, listen here. You guys remember that? In, in the, look in the previous verses, uh, verses 1 through 6 of James 5. He says, listen up, look here. And he's trying to get people's attention. He's trying to almost call them out and challenge them. Hey, you rich people, don't be all into hoarding. But remember to be godly. Remember to give. Don't be selfish. And it's kind of like a uh, challenge. And he really wants to rattle people. Today, he's speaking from a place. He's calling us. He's reminding us, brothers and sisters. He says it several times. He's basically saying this. Hey, family of God. Hey, brothers, sisters, come. We're all in this together. We have a job to do. Let's go love on people. Let's go do this. And I know it's hard. And I know that, that life is what it is. But he's going, hey, family, family, come. Come together. This is me, your brother James, talking. Let's go do this thing. And it's, it's kind of like, wow, he, he's taking this, this stance of I'm alongside of you. We're a family. We have a job to do. And he says, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. He's just, he's just saying, hey guys, remember, hold on. Hold on to God. Hold on to what you know. Let's be patient and let's do it together, brothers and sisters. We got this. We can do this. Don't give up. Look at verse 9. Don't grumble about each other. He goes, look, we're a family. Stop squabbling amongst, amongst each other. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. Again, he reminds us we're family. Or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. A friend of mine came up to me the other night and he goes, Hey, I got a word from you, from the Lord for you. I got a word from the Lord for you. And, and it's been, God's been telling me to say it. And I've been like, I've never had that kind of a deal before. And I, I didn't know I was supposed to share it. But God won't let me get rid of it. And, and the more I think about it, it literally gives me, gives me a headache. And he was sitting in a meeting with me. And I was just... I was going off. I was just talking about vision and where I want the men's group to go and where I want our church to go and what God is showing me. And I was getting all excited and you know, caught up in the Holy Spirit. Like, man, this is so exciting. And he said, as he was sitting there, God just kept telling him, tell him the word, tell him the word, tell him the word. And he said he was getting such a bad headache because he knew he had to say this. So he comes to me after the, the meeting and he basically says this. Here's a word I got from the Lord. I've never had this before. I don't know how to do this, but I just feel like God is saying, I'm watching you. And there are some things I was thinking of in my life immediately. And it's like this right here is, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. The judge is standing at the door. In other words, God's watching. Our dad, we're brothers and sisters. Dad's watching. Let's not treat each other wrong. And the word I got was, it was like a double, kind of a double-edged prophecy to me. Because there's stuff in my life that, that I felt that God was going, be careful, Carl. Don't fall into sin over here. I'm watching you. Don't get this type of thinking in your mind. Watch out for that. And I was like, oh. 
And the other thing was, I felt encouraged that he's saying, I'm watching how excited you are right now about my house and my people and the vision that I'm giving you. And that's a good thing. I I got your back. I'm encouraging you. So it was like a really good, meaningful, personal word to me. But part of the gist of it was that God's watching. We're family. God, our dad's watching. He's standing at the door watching you beef with your brothers and sisters. And it says in verse 10, for examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. God will honor you if you have patience with one another. For instance, you know about Job, the book of Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Job went through the ringer. He went through a bunch of stuff. But at the end, he held on to God. And so God blessed him because he endured. He handled. He had patience. It says, um, you can see the Lord's full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, now James makes a point, most of all. When he says that, when you hear that in the Bible, you usually got to pick up your ears and go, wait, well, what's he saying? He's saying, focus on this above all these other things. Most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath. By heaven or earth or anything else, just say a simple yes or no so that you will not be sin, so that you will not sin and be condemned. And here's what we're talking about this word patience today. I looked it up in the original language here in the Greek. And patience comes from two different Greek words, actually, that it means this long temper. That's what patience here is saying. Have a long temper. It also kind of means long suffering. And James is telling us here. Be someone that has a long fuse, not a short fuse. You guys know anybody with short fuse anger? You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody that's you in here? Like, yeah, that's me. All right. Right. But it's the kind of person that just says, as soon as somebody brings an offense or says a wrong thing to him, you instantly rah, turn into a monster, right? Jekyll and Hyde. Short fuse because you can't handle, you can't have patience to get through this. And what? I don't care if they're my brother or my sister. They made my, me mad and I'm turning into the Hulk right now and I'm just going to, right? And James is saying this whole idea of patience, have a long temper, have long suffering, be able to endure it for a long time, have a long fuse. In other words, I think God is saying, see life in the long term, in the big picture. Yeah, you may be getting into a problem with someone right there, but overlook that. Realize that the big picture is your family. You're going to be together for all of eternity. Get to know one another and get to love one another and overlook those little things. Love covers a multitude of offenses, right? If you have true love, you can put up with a lot. Um, Two things that I see right here that he's talking about. Number one is patience with God. He's asking us to have patience with God. He says, be patient and wait for the Lord's return. And I think you could look at that and you could say, well, that applies to when Jesus is coming back. So throughout this life, I got to hold on because I'm not in heaven yet. Yeah, I think it can apply to that. But I also think it applies to in the short term stuff when you're going, you know what, God, I've been praying and I'm waiting. How come you didn't show up right now? I've been asking you right now. And God's going, hey, have patience. I'm going to do things in my timing. And James is reminding us, have patience with God because God is working in the waiting. I found that so many times in my life that there's a reason why I'm waiting and having to have patience. It's because God's actually doing something better because I'm having to wait throughout the process. Does that make sense? You guys ever bought um, roses that don't smell? Anybody ever get roses that just don't smell? You guys know what I'm talking about? I, I know it because I'm cheap, I think. And in high school, when I was in, you know, in love with Kanani and you know, buying her flowers and stuff, and I'm like, 80 bucks for a dozen roses versus like, 20? Hey, what's, you know, what is there to decide right there? Go for the cheap ones, right? 
And the reason that they buy the cheap ones and they look just as good is because they genetically engineer them a little bit with chemicals or whatever they do, right? So that they could rush the process of growth so that the flowers look red, so that they bloom, so they look beautiful, right? But then, you know, you go to give it to the girlfriend and she's like, oh, thank you. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks. You know, like, thanks a lot. It doesn't smell. You know why? Because you tried to rush the process. In other words, God goes, there's a natural way that roses should grow so that they develop, so that they come out smelling beautiful and amazing and all that. And we, on the other hand, go, we've got to make some money. We've got to sell more flowers. So let's speed up the growth process. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? God is working in the waiting in your life. There's a reason that he sometimes says, be patient with me. I know you've been praying. Keep praying. It's doing something. It's building your faith. It's stretching you. How bad do you really trust in me? How much do you really want it? Let me see. You know, it's the longer you wait, I'm just setting you up for a bigger and better miracle. If I gave it to you right then, you'd be happy. But if you had to wait two years for it and then it happened, oh my gosh, it's a miracle. I've been holding on in faith and God's going, that's what I like. I like you giving more glory to me. What about um, fruits and vegetables? Sometimes they don't, they, you know, they don't taste the way they should. Anybody ever had a, a really bad tasting tomato? Anybody in here? See, I, I, I make a pretty good salsa, if I do say so myself. Make a pretty good salsa, right? And so a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was working on making a salsa in, in a big batch because I wanted to give them away in jars and all that kind of Martha Stewart stuff. And um, I, so I went to Costco and I bought all of these tomatoes and all of, this, all of these ingredients, right? And I buy these big, fat, juicy red tomatoes. And I'm like, oh, these are going to be good. This is going to be awesome, fresh grown and, you know, all of this stuff. Then I go home and I'm mixing up the salsa and cutting all the tomatoes and doing all this. And I taste it. And these tomatoes are just like watery, you know, just like no taste, like no bite, nothing. I'm like, what? What's going on? All of them. I, t- I taste them. I'm just, I'm so mad. I'm like, I was literally mad at the tomatoes. You guys ever, any, anybody ever been there? Like literally like, how dare you? You, you need flavor, you know, like, and I was mad. And then I was kind of mad at Costco, right? Because they sold it to me. But then you start to think, I can't get too mad at Costco because they give me free snacks. You know, I can go there for lunch and browse the aisles. Oh, thank you. You know, come back. That's for my kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can't be too mad at Costco. But I was mad at these tomatoes because they had no flavor. And again, you know why they had no flavor? It's because someone took the shortcuts and they're like, let's make them look good and they'll sell. But they don't have any flavor. The thing we got to understand about God when he's doing stuff in our lives, he's working in the waiting. There's a reason why he's taking his time because he's doing something really good in you. So hold on to God. The second thing you see about James is talking about, he says, don't grumble about each other. We need to have patience with each other because we're family. That's the main reason. We are the family of God. We need to get along with one another because other people outside of the family are watching us, and they want to see, do I want to be a part of that family? Nah, look at the way they treat each other. Yeah, right, Christianity doesn't work. Where's the love? Where's the forgiveness? Where's the pain? They say that, but look at how they act. And we need to understand that we got to have patience with one another because we're family. That means we continue to pray for those who haven't been saved yet. Like this morning, what Kanani said is, is, who are those people in your life that you just, man, they need to go to heaven? Don't give up on them. Don't grumble about them. Keep on praying for them. I love to see the, the, the prayer cards that come into the, the, sur- the, we turn them into the offering or whatever. The, the staff prays on them every Tuesday. And I love to see sometimes it's week after week after week. It's the same prayers for other people. And that's good that we should have patience and wait for them to come around. But sometimes it's just squabbling within the family of God where we're kind of like, you know what? I love everyone at church except that guy. 
he is super irritating, right? And you guys all, we all have someone like that, right? We all have, come on, let's be real. There's people that irritate us in our lives, right? We have people, you guys, you guys got to respond here once in a while, okay? <laughs> you kill me. I feel like I'm the only sinner up here. I'm like, wow, I'm pretty bad, you know? You got to give me the hands and stuff like that. Everybody has someone in their life that irritates them. Yes? Yay! Yay! We're, we're all sinners together. Thank you, Lord. We're in the right place. Thank you, Jesus. But we all have that person. But think about this. The person that irritates you that you have no patience for. You think that person woke up today, came to church, and said, I can't wait to irritate Carl. It's going to be awesome. I, I just want to be the most irritating person there ever was. This is so good. Nobody plans on that. See, if we take the patience and the time to get to know people that irritate us, we might realize, oh, I had no idea that person was abused as a kid. And so they don't know how to do it. I had no idea that that guy had plenty of relationships that fell apart, so they don't know how to have a right relationship with other people. Oh, I had no idea the background on this person or this person or wherever they come from. And the more we learn to have patience, we start seeing nobody sets out to be irritating. No one sets out to go, I want to make someone grumble at me today. Right? But we think that. Oh, why are they such a... Instead, God is saying, have patience with one another. That's your brother. That's your sister. We're going to be in heaven for all eternity together. Get to know them. Because the more you learn to show love towards people in the family, the more people outside go, can I be a part of that family? Man, you guys, that's a good thing you guys got going on. I saw the way you guys deal with each other, even in conflict. How do you do that? Can, can I be a part of what's going on there? Remember, the gift that we have to give away isn't a material gift this Christmas. It's our actions leading other people to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It's the best thing that we have to give away. Um, so it's, it's saying that take the time with God, be patient with God, and be patient with other people. Let me give you a couple verses. Proverbs 16.32. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Then in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9, the message version, I like how it puts it in the, the common speech or whatever. Don't be quick to fly off the handle. Anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. Isn't, isn't that so true? Don't be quick to fly off the handle. Talking about patience with other people. One of my uh, friends was saying um, a bad example of this. When he was in high school, he said for the last two years of high school, I think it was Castle High School, he used to park in the parking lot next to the same car. This one guy would park next to him. They Basically, it was like kind of like their spots. Every day for two years, they'd park next to each other. And the last week of school, he said, he pulled in one day, and he came to his car in the afternoon, and the car that usually is parked next to him was across the lot. And he's going, whoa, why is, I, why is he not there next to me? Every, you know, he's there all the time, and how come he's not there today? And he walks up to his car, and he sees on that side of the car, it's all broken into, and his car was broken into, and his stereo's missing, and everything's gone. And he immediately is just like, oh, I know who it is. The guy parks next to me. He sees in my car every single day. Coincidentally enough, he doesn't park next to me. How obvious. So he sees the car across the parking lot. He goes over to the guy. The guy's sitting in his car. He opens the door. He pulls the guy out and just, just beats him down. He's like, why do you take my stuff for it? And the guy's like, no, stop, stop, stop. Look, they took my stuff too. And he looks in the guy's car and his car got broken into too. And my friend just said, uh-oh, you know, like, oh, I blew it. And he says, to this day, he still sees that guy around Kanyoi every once in a while. He's like, oh, man, <laughs> you know? And he says, more worse, the guy's really big. And he's like, oh, please don't remember me, you know? But he said, I blew it. I flew off the handle. Instead of asking questions, instead of being patient with people to find out what's really going on, 
I just assumed. I flew off the handle. I got impatient. And look what did it, good it did me. Look what good it did this guy. And here's James reminding us, be someone of patience. I think um, it, it goes on and it says um, in verse 12, this is an interesting verse, how it says, but most of all, most importantly, it ties into patience here, never take an oath, just a simple yes or no. See, Jesus himself said in, in Matthew five thirty seven, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You know how this ties in with patience? It takes patience to earn a good reputation. It takes patience to earn a good reputation. That means you don't need to go out of your way to tell someone, I promise, believe me, look, by heaven, I swear to God, blah, 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 blah. And you do something big, dramatic, and religious sounding to prove that you got a good reputation, that someone can take you at your word. And James is just saying, you know what? Take the time to be a person of your word. You don't have to go impress people and sound, I take a holy oath to promise that I'm going to do this for you. If, if you're a righteous person and you're living a trustworthy, integrous life, it takes time to earn. But people will start to understand, hey, whenever Carl says yes, he means yes. Whenever he means no, he means no. I don't have to go before God and say, let me get this in writing in a holy document. In the name of Jesus, Carl says this. Like, you don't need to do that. That's impatience. You're trying to get people to believe you. Have the kind of reputation where you just quietly, slowly earn it in people's lives. Isn't that a good word? You start to wonder, why is that little verse 12 in there? But when you think on that, it's that he's just saying, be someone of your word. Earn respect from people. You know, when I first took over this service, I got to deal with this stuff, right? Because it's hard when I started the Friday service, the, the 1030 service, and then 830 service, is I really feel like people don't know me as a pastor or as a speaker, and I'm coming in here, and i got, got to prove myself. And see, I could, I could go the impatient way and just come in and go, I'm Carl Moore, son of Ralph. Boom. <laughs> right? Bow down. Right? I could say that. And that's ridiculous, right? That's this big old taking an oath, making a dramatic thing. That's, that's dumb. You know what I had to do? I have to come in here and just be myself and earn myself in your eyes, right? Because people are sitting there going, and this, I love this. People still come to me every day and they go, you know, when you first started coming in here, uh, Ralph was my pastor and I just put up with you and I was about ready to leave, but I gave you a shot and uh, you're all right. Thank, thanks for being my pastor. But I like that because you know what that says? I took the time and the patience to earn that, that nothing comes easy and quick because I make some big, bold statement. You guys see where it's getting at in here? We don't have to talk and put out a big show. Just earn the reputation of some. And some of you guys still aren't sold yet, but I got time. I can wait you out. I will prove to you that I love you. <laughs> but it goes on and it says in James 5.13, the next P, which is prayer. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises, which in turn is musical prayers to God, right? So he's talking about prayer. If you're in hardship or if you're happy, pray. Are any of you sick? And this word sick doesn't just mean physically sick. Originally in this language, it actually means to be weak or to be weary. And it had to do with spiritual weariness. You know, sometimes when you just feel like, I just feel dry spiritually. I I don't know where my, my life, I just, oh, I'm so tired. I've been holding on to something for so long. And it says, if you feel sick like this, physically or spiritually or emotionally, it says you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil, which represents medicinal purposes, but also represents in scripture, the Holy Spirit's anointing on your life. Pray for the elders to come pray for you in the name of the Lord. He's saying, when you're feeling weak, 
Call for someone that's strong, like the elders of the church. You know they're strong. Call for someone to come and pray for you. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. So he's saying this. In times of hardship, pray. In times of happiness, pray. In times of sick and not feeling good, ask for people to come and pray for you. And last one, if you've committed sins, pray. He's basically, James is basically saying this as he's ending up his book, his talk, the importance of prayer is this is a habit, a rule that you should apply to your life every single day. Pray first, ask questions later. That's a, that's a rule I try to live by. And I'm not perfect, and I, you know, I have people in my life to back me up, but I try to make a, a, a law in my life of whatever happens, pray first, ask questions later. And it doesn't mean you have to go to, to a, a big like pray out loud or do whatever, but just when anything comes up in life that's a new situation or a, a new hardship or a new victory that you just... Instantly, God, I need your help. Or, God, I praise you. Thank you for doing this for me. Or, God, I'm not feeling too good. I need, to, I need some prayer. Or, God, I've sinned. I blew it. Go straight to God. And usually, prayer is a last resort for us. James is saying, make this a first resort, that you pray first and you ask questions later. It says um, in verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. In other words, he's going, guys, prayer works. Prayer does big things. Let's not forget about it. Let's not discount it. Let's not make it second or third option. But let's remember, pray first because God does big stuff when people pray. Amen? We're a church that prays and we pray together and we get those prayer cards and then we read their praise reports. God does big stuff. We know that. I was talking to someone out here this morning and he's got some friends that are Christians and they're kind of you know, they believe a little bit differently when it comes to miracles and things like that. And they're going, well, you know, I don't know. I think miracles ceased back when the apostles all died and this and that. And he's all, what, what should I say to debate them? I said, don't debate them. Just prove to them that miracles are real by praying, believing in them and watching them happen. And then you can't argue with the fact, right? Every time that, that Jesus and Paul walked around and taught, they taught about the message and the miracles, the word and the works. I believe it goes hand in hand that we believe in a living God not a God of written history 2,000 years ago, right? But we believe in a God that still does miracles to this day. And James is saying the way to unleash those miracles is simply to pray. It seems almost too easy. Well, I can't really put any effort into that. Nope, you just ask. You ask an all-powerful God that loves you. You're his kid. He wants to bless you. Get in the habit of asking. Well, what if he doesn't answer every time? doesn't matter. Results are up to him. You just ask because when they do happen, they happen big. It says it produces wonderful results. Elijah, in verse 17, was a human just as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. First Kings 17 and 18, if you want to go read the story of Elijah. It's a pretty cool story, but go read that, First Kings 17 and 18. But he's talking about pray first ask questions later. And then he actually says this. This is interesting that we kind of miss sometimes. He's saying that we ought to ask for prayer for ourselves. He says, if you're feeling weary, go get people to come pray for you. This is something that a lot of us overlook because we think that's selfish. I got a long list of things. I pray for my friends, my family. I pray for, but if I pray for myself, oh, that's, that's kind of being selfish. I shouldn't do that. And God is actually saying here, if you're not doing too good, you need to go ask for help, get people to pray for you. You can go to me and ask for help for yourself. It's okay. Don't feel guilty about that kind of stuff. There's a verse in Psalm 50, verse 15, where God is saying this. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. He's saying, hey, you, call on me. Pray for yourself. 
ask for prayers for yourself. It's okay. It's not selfish. You know why it's not selfish to God? Is God is saying this. If I can prove myself to you, how much more authority and how much more trust are you going to have now when you ask for prayer for others or when you tell other people to pray? Doesn't, doesn't that make sense? You taste the goodness of it yourself first and you go, wow, God did this. See, if someone asks me, hey, Carl, can you pray for physical healing? And I go, yeah, sure. But if I know because I've already prayed for stuff in my life and I've been miraculously healed of things because I have, now when someone asks me for prayer, I go, absolutely, I'll pray for you because God did it for me. I know it works, so I'm praying it on you. You guys understand how that boosts your faith? God himself is saying, it's okay to pray selfish prayers. You're my kid. I love you just as much as those other ones. But the more that you have a stronger faith because I've come through for you, the more you're going to be able to offer that prayer in faith for other people. Amen? You get strengthened first. You taste the goodness of God first. Now you can go give it away with authority, with faith, with confidence to ask for the miraculous because I've seen it firsthand. I love that. So he says, go ahead and pray for yourself. Um, And then he talks about confession in verse 16, confessing our sins to each other and praying for each other so that we may be healed. And I, I like that he's talking about prayer, but he does interject in there confession. There's two big things that confession does. Confession means when you blow it or you, you sin or you let God down or you hurt someone else, that you need to go to someone and to let them know that you did it and to own up to it. Here's the two things that confession does. Number one, confession gives healing. You've got to remember that confession brings healing. It brings forgiveness and freedom with God and with other people. When you can go to God and just say, God, I, I admit it, I owned up to it. Well, suddenly this thing you've been carrying around like this burden on your back, and you're going, oh man, I'm guilty, I did this, I did feel terrible, I feel this, I feel the conviction, I wish I didn't have this. Well, you go confess it and go, God, I own up to it, I did this, I'm sorry. Or you go to that person that you wronged and say, hey, you know what, I'm sorry I flew off the handle or whatever. You know what you just did? Burden, gone, right? Because now it's done, the air is cleared, that person forgives you, it strengthens the relationship, you find freedom, you can walk away going, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm healed, I'm set free. I don't have to carry this crap anymore because God took it from me. This other person took it away. It's dealt with. It's over. It's done. I'm forgiven. Someone came to me about a week ago after a service and just said, Hey, Carl, I got to confess something to you. And I'm like, Oh, no, what? Uh, I, I wronged you. I'm like, You did? When? Oh, it was about four years ago. Four years ago? Like, wow, really? And he goes, Yeah, I just, I just, I came over to your house and I remember I told you that I had just been out smoking weed and getting drunk and i came over and i i admitted that to you and i said oh yeah i kind of remember that he goes i was purposely doing that to like make you mad because just to like spite you because i you knew that i was a christian i was in your mini church and everything i was just trying to be mean to you i go well i I never really took it like that and i and i forgive you man i forgave you then and it's no big deal we talked and we're still in relationship he goes yeah but i've been carrying this around for four years i'm like wow and i go well you just told me, and I forgive you, and I love you. Let's move on. How do you feel? He goes, oh, I feel good. Four years I've been carrying this thing and, and having this. I go, well, you're not meant to carry this stuff. When you confess, it brings healing. It brings freedom in your life, and you don't have to carry that burden anymore. That's a good thing. The second thing that confession gives is it gives help. So you get, when you confess something to someone else, you're basically saying, look, I'm weak in this area. And what, you, what happens right there is that person can go, Let's be in accountability then. I got your back. Let me pray for you. And you know, when are you you're going to have that struggle again? Or if that's going through, let's talk about that so that I can partner with you. See, now you're not going, I go through this temptation thing alone and it's me against the world, blah, blah, blah. Now you let someone else know and someone else will go, hey, I got your back. 
Now there's two people that are praying together that are helping you through your problem. Or a whole mini church full of people. See, I don't think confession is something that you do in front of the masses. I think it's you go to people you trust that are going to say, I'm going to walk through this problem with you. I got your back. I'm here to help. At men's camp a few weeks back, the last day we usually do this open mic testimony time. And it's amazing because it's testimonies of God's goodness. But what ends up happening is you develop this bond with these brothers at this camp for this weekend. And a lot of these guys stand up there in the microphone and they confess stuff. And no one's, we're not asking for it. We're like, okay, this is time to do all this. They just get up there and they just, because God's putting it on their heart, they're tired of carrying stuff around. They're looking for help. They need healing. They bust out stuff. You know what? I've been struggling in my marriage. I've been doing this. Or I've been struggling, struggling with alcohol or whatever. Or I, I've had this anger problem. And guys end up confessing. But you know how amazing it is when the men of God gather together and guys are almost tearing up going, man, that's me too. That guy... He did that. He got rid of the freedom. He's got accountability. I'm going to go to that guy because we're going to talk because I struggle together. Now we find help. And all these men are starting to, hey, hey, call me anytime, man. Hey, let's get going in a mini church together. People start realizing that when you confess, the rest of the body of Christ is going to bring help and God's going to provide help for you. Isn't that a good thing? See, some of you guys I know right now, you got secrets. You got stuff you're carrying. It's been longer than four years maybe, right? A lot of us do. And God is saying, Hey, confess and pray because I'm going to bring healing and I'm going to bring help your way. I love this. And prayer is a powerful thing. And I want to show you this thing about prayer is um, a little video testimony real quick. Um, about a year ago, some friends of ours uh, that are from Hawaii had moved to the mainland and they, they had two little boys. But their baby boy was born with, um, they didn't know, but he'd, he had been vomiting since birth. For six months, he vomits every day. He throws up everything. And the, the doctors say, oh, he's just a spitty baby. He'll be okay. He'll all grow it. But at six months old, he was still like under 12 pounds. And he was throwing up as many as 20 times a day. He wasn't keeping in any food. And he was sickly. And they ended up having to take him to ER. They got some, some food allergy testing. And they were able to fix a little bit of it. But he still couldn't keep down food. So he couldn't get nourished. So he couldn't grow properly. Then he had, um, it says his liver enzymes were elevated two times their normal amount. And it, the levels showed, showed his ability to absorb proteins were very low. So they were taking him to the hospital. They came back to Hawaii. They did all this work. Two weary parents and a little baby showed up in our church um, about a year ago, almost a year ago, um, with this little baby. And he had feeding tubes down his, his nose um, into his stomach so he could eat. And they were just weary. They were beat up. They were tired. They almost lost their son. And Kanani saw him and said, we're going to have our whole church pray for you because we believe in the wonderful results when... People earnestly pray. We believe in prayer. So he comes up on stage, and we all pray for him. And then they went back home, and they, we didn't really hear the result of all what happened. Well, my friend called me, the dad, Josh Nordgren, called about his little son, Finn, the other day, and he left a voicemail. And this is what I want to share with you guys. Are we ready for that? Take a listen to this voicemail video. Hey, Carl, this is Josh Nordgren. Hey, man. Um, I got your number from Jibo. I wanted to give you give you a call, and um, you and Kanani have just been on my heart, and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for praying for Finn um, and your church. Just blessings on you and your church. Thank you so much, dude. I'm thinking of you guys because we're actually flying out soon. Uh, we'll be in Hawaii for like Christmas and all that, and um, New Year's. Anyway, we'll probably come see you guys again on uh, maybe the 1st or the 8th. But um, our son, dude, he's a different kid, man. He's just 
he's chunky, he's healthy, he's happy, and literally um, almost brings me to tears just telling you that. And uh, again, bro, I just want to thank you so much for uh, your church, and thank you guys. So can't wait to see you guys and and even show off in um, just God's goodness. Um, we're just so thankful, so thankful. So blessings on you, brother, and um, yeah, hope to see you guys soon. Okay, bye. I, I love that because prayer works. Prayer works, and we are a praying church. And James is reminding us: keep on being a people of prayer. Believe in the power of prayer. Pray first. Ask questions later. This is a testimony of God's goodness as well as all the different praise reports we read there. But don't ever um, underestimate the power of prayer. And the third P that he talks about is James five nineteen to 20. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. See, here's the whole Christmas spirit, the whole Christian spirit, the whole message of Christmas in the first place is that people have wandered away from relationship with God. And God says, be persistent in bringing them back into that relationship. That's the whole reason he goes, man, Adam and Eve, they blew it. Sin came into the world. I gave them my law. I gave them my Ten Commandments. People are still hard-hearted. Oh, I got up drastic measures. My one and only son, I'm sending him down there. And I'm sending him with the, the job and the task to do, to bring people back into relationship with me. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, his whole great commission to us was, you guys go out into all the world, bring people back to me, bring people back. And so there's times when someone will wander away from the truth. And this is how James ends his book in saying that if any of you guys miss out on the truth that's happening that we're talking about here and you wander away, well, the person that brings them back, it says, is going to save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This applies to family members that kind of slide back out of the radar. Yeah, like I was in our mini church for, for a while. I haven't seen him in about five weeks. Anybody called him? No. This is saying, be persistent. Go chase that person down. Give him a phone call. Oh yeah, you know, my family used to, you know, believe in God, but now they're just kind of, they believe in God, but they don't really do anything about it. Well, get persistent. Get them back into the place of God's blessing. They're out there. They may, they may believe. They may go to heaven. That's cool. But are they receiving all that Jesus has for them? No. But whose job is it to go get them back? Well, Jesus said it's ours. James is saying it's ours. Be persistent. Go bring people back into the, the fold. This, this applies to those that are in the family of God that have wandered away. But this also applies to the world that's out there that doesn't even understand that they wandered away from the truth, that they're lost. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to let them know? Well, it's got to be us. And the way I look at it is we, we don't do this for everybody. You, you and I, you're not called to go and just reach tons of people you don't know, but every single one of us has a small world, a small circle of friends that we alone are the ones that are supposed to go after people. There's a lot of people in the church who fall away, and I don't really notice because I can't see them, but that's why you're there. That's why we're all here, and that's why we have many churches and small groups is we don't want anybody slipping away from God and wandering from the truth. Amen? We don't want to see our friends doing that and falling out of the good graces of God, but it's up to us to be persistent. The way I look at it is every one of us needs to be, listen to this, a holy hassler. You need to be a person that is a holy hassler. The word hassle means to dispute or to take time and effort for something, right? You need to be the kind of person when you see your friends slipping away, like, hey, hey, where are you going, buddy? Give them a call. 
You go after them, right? You see your friends headed towards a cliff in their lives. And you go over and you get them and say, hey, no, 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 let's not do that. Like, come on, come on back here. Come to the safety of the body. Come back to Jesus Christ. He's got a plan for your life. We need to be holy hassers. We all have them. I, I hope you have them. I know my wife is the biggest holy hassler in my life. Thank God, right? But I've got friends. I've got staff members. They're like, Carl, you shouldn't have said that in the sermon. That was bad. Oh, sorry, right? Get, get back in line a little bit. But if I start thinking and going off into some bad thing or anger or falling away or something, I got people in my life that are going to say, you're wandering a little bit. Come on back here. This is where you belong. I pray that every single one of you in this room would have someone that you would say is my holy hassler in life. Because if you don't, you're in danger of wandering off yourself because we're human, human nature. But more than that, I pray that every single one of us would be a holy hassler to someone. Can you think of the people in your life right now who you know you are the holy hassler to? You are the one that God has called to bring them back. And you got to make sure you're doing that because people are, are slipping out through the cracks and we don't want them to do that. Jesus says this in Matthew 18, 15. He gave us actual instructions. If someone wanders away, if someone falls into sin, you don't just overlook it and go, oh, well, they're bad. I don't want to get in their face, whatever. Jesus says persistence. Here's what he says in Matthew 18, 15. If another believer sins against you, go after him. Here's what he says. Go privately and point out the offense. Someone sins against you, don't just go, oh, that's one more check against that guy. Urgh. One of these days, I'm going postal on you. No, you know, you don't do that. Don't like count up all the offenses. But instead you go, oh, someone got out of line. They did something. Jesus says, go to them privately and say, hey, man, you hurt my feelings. This or you're messing up. I, I got to talk to you. He says, if the other person listens and confesses it, praise God, you've won that person back. All right. Praise God. You went after him. But some take a little more effort. Verse 16 says, if you're unsuccessful, then take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Again, you, you, you pick up this persistence thing. Someone messes up, go tell them. If they don't get it, give up. No. If, if they don't get it, take other people back and go bring the family of God and bring in the more love, bring in more conviction, get them back to where they need to be. Then it says, if the other person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Go up to the, the church leadership. Maybe someone with more authority can come in and speak into their lives sometimes. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, then treat that person as a pagan, a non-Christian, or a corrupt tax collector. Basically, it's saying, look, treat them like they're not in the family because they're walking away from what the family is offering them. Now, these are only rare cases. I don't think you always go around and just like isolate people. But the whole gist of what he's saying is be persistent. Go after that person. If strike one doesn't work, then the strike two and strike three, then at some point, hear me on this, because there are times of this, when someone is so hard hearted and they're continuing to sin and continuing to hurt other people, they won't even listen to church leadership. There's a time when Jesus said, man, a prophet's not even honored in his own hometown. I shake the dust from my feet and I leave you hard hearted ones because there's good people over here that I can spend my energy and time on. The apostle Paul did it also. Same thing. I tried to get through. These people rejected everything. I tried to be persistent. I couldn't do it. There's times when we actually have to go, you know what? You're on your own at this point. But, and this is the big but, if I can say that in church. But you can always pray, which leads us back to what we just talked about. There may be a time when you give up words, when you give up trying, when the person has left the body, they've left the church, they're saying bad things about you. I've had friends I've had to deal with this even recently, pastoral staff members, 
people I thought were close to me, my friends, and we offered all of this and the persistence of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And here's how to stay a part of the family. And I'm going to keep calling you. And the person stops calling. The person leaves the church. The person just turns against all of that. The love, the forgiveness that's offered. Even starts saying bad stuff about us. And at that point, I can go, God, all I can do is pray at this point. I'm going to be as persistent as I possibly can. And right now, the only persistent thing I can do is to pray because they don't want to hear anything about the goodness of you and, and they've just turned your back on you. But the main thing that I'm trying to get at, and those are extreme cases, right, that that happens is, but the main thing is be persistent after people, going after people. Because you know why? Some of you are sitting here today because someone was persistent for you. Amen? Someone was praying for you for years, maybe. Someone was inviting you to church how many times? Someone was going, hey, can I pray for you? No. And you do it anyway because you're persistent, right? Think about that. We're here because someone was persistent for us. And God is saying, go and be persistent for other people. In this season of giving, this picture that I like to think of is this. And I, I looked for this picture all over on Google and everything. I wanted to show this picture to you. I saw it on my friend's body because he had a tattoo of this. And it's this super cool picture of what the Christian life is supposed to be about, what James is calling us to, what the Christmas spirit is all about. It's a picture of a guy that's reaching up to Jesus Christ and taking hold of all that Jesus has for him. But with the other hand, he's reaching out to pull someone else along to bring them where he's going. And I just, I, it burns in my head all the time when I think of what is my role in life? What am I supposed to be doing in life? Well, I'm supposed to be holding on to God and getting close to him. But along the way, I'm pulling someone else with me. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good picture? That, that you should always be thinking one arm to God, one arm to someone else. That I'm going to be praying for people. That I'm going to have patience for people. I'm going to be persistent because the best gift we have at this Christmas season is just our actions that would lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Rethink about the gifts that you get and all that. And they're important and they're cool and they're signs of love and all that. But realize that the small conversation you could have at Zippy's this afternoon could be of immense eternal value compared to some little card that you give to someone. Just the person, the the cashier that you deal with, the person in your family who you haven't been too persistent with, you could be giving heaven away. And that's what we need to be doing. Amen? All right, let's pray and let's get you guys out of here. God, we just love you. Lord, it's all about you. That's why we're here. That's uh, the, the cry of our hearts. Lord, we, we don't always walk it. But Lord, that's why we're here because we're trying to learn. We're trying to get strong. We're trying to, to know what it is you've called us to do and how to make life the best it possibly can be. And Lord, I just would uh, pray, Father God, that you would convict us, you would motivate us, you would challenge us, you would empower us. Because Lord, I know it takes boldness and courage to go talk to people, to keep to not grumble with people, Lord. That takes boldness and strength sometimes, Lord. And, and to keep on praying, even when people have rejected us, Lord, that, that's hard to do. But I pray that you would give us the gifts and the means necessary for us to be persistent in love on people. And Lord, and to, to ultimately see big picture. Patience is that long term. Lord, long term, you want to see a huge family of God reunited with you in heaven. And so do we. So Lord, let's help us to overlook all the little differences and be patient with one another. If you came this morning and... Um, you're looking for God. Maybe you came in the door not knowing for sure if you were a Christian, or maybe you know for sure you're not a Christian, but something today, God was speaking to you and just saying, man, I want to be like that. I want to be a part of this family of God that loves one another. I want to know there's a God in heaven who's a good father, a good dad that takes care of his kids. And if the cry of your heart this morning is just kind of like, I need God in my life. I need something more. I need to believe. I need someone that can do something to fix this mess of my life. And if that's you this morning, I would love to say a prayer with you, just leading you into a relationship with God. 
And what, what we're going to do is, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray with you. If you're here this morning saying, I want that, Pastor Carl. I want a relationship with God. I want to be a Christian. I want to know all of God's plans and his gifts for my life. That's, if that's you, I'm going to say the words out loud in this prayer. And I'm just going to ask that you pray them in your heart to God. You personalize it to God. You don't have to say them out loud in front of all these people. I'll just lead you in some words that become your own. Because I believe God judges us off our heart first, and then we learn to go confess him as a step of faith later. But first of all, it has to do with the heart, a heart after God. And so I'm going to say a prayer with you just to allow you to say yes to God and become a Christian right now and to really enter into a new relationship with him. And how we're going to do that is I just want to know who I'm praying with. And everybody seated around you has their eyes closed and their heads bowed. But if you want to pray this prayer with me, this amazing prayer that will change your eternal life, then I'm just going to ask that in a minute here, I'm going to count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and let me know you're praying with me. So if that's what you want to pray, at the count of three. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. I see one person right here. Anybody else in the room? Any other hands? I'm looking around. It's the best decision you will ever make. Lord, I see one person. Thank you for that person. I see one hand over there too. Thank you, Lord, for those hands and those hearts. And I want to just pray with you if you raise your hand. Simple prayer, God, here I am. I need you. I want you. I believe in you. I believe your son Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago to pay the price for my sins so that I could have a relationship with you here on earth and in eternity. And so, Lord, I give you my life. I give you control. I'm telling you, Father God, you show me how to live. You make my life better. I will follow you from this day forward. Lord, through reading your Bible, through going to church, through being a part of this loving family of God, of people who will help me and encourage me and challenge me and motivate me. Lord, I, I want to be water baptized as a symbol of what I'm doing right now in my heart. I want to show the world that, that I follow you. Lord, I ask that you baptize me with your Holy Spirit because, Lord, I, I want to believe in a God that has power, power for today, not just in the Bible. So, Lord, I ask for you to give me your Holy Spirit to show me so I can walk in power and I can see the miraculous changes in my life. Lord, all of this, I'm just coming and I'm just thanking you for accepting me as I am, calling me your child from this day forward. Lord, I'm so blessed to know you in this way. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And in Jesus' name, we all said, amen. And we praise God for two people that raise their hands.